Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to a special breaking edition of the PowerCat podcast. I am GoPowerCat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald, and we're joined today by our basketball analyst, Jay Heydrich, as we talk about the early stages of Kansas State's search for a new basketball coach. Of course, we're following it all very closely at GoPowerCat.com. We will soon be releasing 3.0 of our hot board as we sift through all of the talk and rumors amongst the coaches and the industry from other reporters and, of course, do our own research to bring you everything we possibly can in deciphering exactly what Gene Taylor might be doing as he gets into this search, and it is still the early stages. Jay, uh, is the timetable realistic? Gene Taylor told us on, it's a blur, on Thursday in Kansas City, he'd like to have this done by the Final Four. That seems to be humping pretty good, but you would hope he's done some research in the past. He's leaning on a search firm to help him come up with candidates and vet candidates. Can this be done before the Final Four? Yeah, I think not only can it be done, I think it will be done. Um, I don't, this has to move quickly. I think Gene Taylor appreciates that. I mean, this isn't his first rodeo. He's done this uh, quite a bit throughout his career. Um, and I, I, I don't foresee this being a long, drawn-out process. I mean, in fans' minds, it might be because they wanted it done yesterday. But, you know, I, I fully anticipate that this will be done before the Final Four, unless it involves the Final Four coach, obviously. But um, and, and it needs to be because uh, recruiting is going on right now, and whether or not there are restrictions on whether or not coaches can, ta- can contact high school kids is is irrelevant because all your decent high school kids are um, committed for for next year. What the real recruiting is going to start up is a transfer portal, and kids are as seasons end kids are going to be putting their name into the portal and you've got to start building your squad for next year through the portal. If you're going to use that right now. And so uh, I think Gene Taylor and the people around him appreciate that. And I think that they understand that the longer this draw draw drags on, um, the more difficult it's going to be for whoever replaces Bruce Weber to utilize that and get on the portal. And the other thing you got to do is you got to be recruiting K-State's team right now. You got to right. keep Nigel Pack. You got to get Marquise Noel. You got to talk to the players that are there and find out, you know, who's going to be your um, who's going to be your core that returns. And so there's a lot that has to be done before the Final Four even gets here. So I fully anticipate this is going to be done before the Final Four. The transfer portal changes a lot, though, doesn't it? I mean, when Bob Huggins was hired 15 years ago. Uh, about the only quick help you could find in the late signing period would be a junior college player. And, you know, that's just so hit and miss. Now, though, you can go find some really tangible players in the portal. It makes you have the ability to get a lot better, a lot faster, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it totally does. And one of the things that really hurt Bruce during his tenure was the revolving door players. You know, you lose a kid in uh, March or April, the the pool of players that are available to replace that kid uh, are is small, particularly with quality players. And so you're, you know, if a kid 
if a kid can't hack it and he leaves, that's one thing. But if you have an unexpected transfer of a kid who can play like uh, Angel Rodriguez or um, someone on that level and they leave in April, all of a sudden you're trying to replace a high caliber kid with a small pool of kids that um, – they really aren't um, it, put it this way. If, if they were the level that you want them to be at or need them to be at, they wouldn't still be available. So that's historically what it's been. But now the, the, the portal lets you um, have a lot more options. It allows you to plug and play a little bit more. You know, we saw it with Wake Forest in particular uh, this year uh, in the ACC, you know, having the, uh, the ACC player of the year that was a transfer from Oklahoma, you know, Steve Forbes had five kids that came in that he brought in as um uh, transfer kids and they, they didn't make the NCAA tournament, but they finished fifth in the ACC and um, were on the bubble. And, you know, in my humble opinion, should have got in, but you know, that, that, that allows you to rebuild from a team that won six games last year. Yeah. It's uh, it really does give you access to a whole different level of player. And, and overall it's changed college basketball. I look at the, the field of 68 and I see some really entertaining matchups because of the transfer portal. I mean, Sylvia DeSuso is, is at Chattanooga, and they're going to play Illinois. That gets really interesting. It's added a yeah, whole layer of fun to college basketball, to be blunt. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of downside with it. I agree with you. Uh, there are people that argue with that. But at the same time, too, I think that um, it, it does add it. And, and here's one thing that's 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 really important, too. It's, it's development, right? And people talk about Manhattan, K-State. It's hard to recruit to all these things. Well, what I think is that kids are going to pick a school – uh, or athletes are going to pick a school just like any kid uh, who's picking a college, right? If I want to be an engineer, I want to go to the school that's going to help me be the best engineer. Um, with the portal, if I want to be a basketball player, I'm going to go to the school that's going to help me be the best basketball player. And so if you can show that you can develop kids, you can get them the exposure they need, and that you can um, uh, play at a level they want to play and play in a conference that they can play in, you, you, you all of a sudden have a, a chance at some kids that maybe you didn't before. You know, Mark Smith's a great example of that with he was recruited by K-State out of high school and ended up at, finishing at K-State. And kids grow up and sometimes the, you know, the glamour and the shine gets off. Uh, wears off of the school they originally picked. And if you can show that you can develop kids and you can give them an option, then you don't, you're going to be in on some kids that maybe you wouldn't have been in on out of, out of high school. Yeah, it is intriguing to me because I think Mark Smith's a perfect example of what the portal does. He went to Illinois high profile. He went to Missouri, which I think is very comparable to Kansas state, but maybe he felt like what was going on at Missouri at that moment, Gave him access to the upper levels of college basketball. Didn't work out that way. Uh, but he finally finds the success he he deserved by coming to Kansas State. I thought it was fascinating that uh, it, it it happened that way. You know, I, I just – it's – it's a strange journey he took, but he found home, and I think it's a great sales pitch for Kansas State and, and the transfer portal overall. Um, but I, I, I'm just – I'm fascinated also, Jay, by this ongoing thought that I have never accepted that it's hard to recruit 
to Kansas State. I, I accept that there are challenges. You are in a rural area. You don't have access to all of the type of players, particularly in football, more so than basketball. When you're stocking an entire roster of football players, maybe having access to Dallas or Houston right next door would be a huge advantage. But in basketball, you got 13 scholarships. In basketball, you can have long conversations with the moms and say, look, this is a good small town college town where your kid's going to be safe and taken care of. I think K-State doesn't use their setting to an advantage that you can go get kids maybe out of urban areas to bring them here where it's a whole different lifestyle. It, absolutely. It, it, is it is it hard? No. Is it harder than some places? Absolutely. You know, but you ever been to Auburn, Alabama, you ever been to Tuscaloosa, you ever yeah. been to Waco, Texas, you know, um, Ames, Iowa. I mean, I can go on happy Valley. Uh, it, it, it is none of those places are distinctly different from, from Manhattan, Kansas, from a rural standpoint, they, they just have, you know, better traditions in whatever particular sports and they're in different conferences and things like that. But if we're talking about, you know, the, the excuse of Manhattan's rule and it's hard to recruit to, you know, I, I call BS on that because there's a lot of places that are rural that you can recruit to, that kids go to. Um, so we need to, you know, stop using that as a crutch and as an excuse because not only can it be done, but we've shown that it, that, that, that it has been done uh, by both football and basketball coaches at K-State. Well, Shane Southwell is doing a great job of recruiting and getting into his hometown, so to speak, of New York City and getting kids from New York to come to Manhattan, Kansas. So I think that just wipes away the argument that you can't recruit here. Kids want to play, and they want to go places where they're going to succeed. And uh, if you create that environment, I think we saw it with hugs and, and Frank, kids will come. They'll come from Miami. They'll come from overseas if you find the right kids. And it's just uh, – I, I'm tired of hearing that because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're not getting it done, it wasn't my fault. It was the the university's fault. And I'm not talking about one coach in particular because God knows I've heard it from multiple coaches through the years. Yeah, it, it's just something that what they have to do is – um, stop using it as a crutch uh, exactly. And they, what they need to do is just accept it for what it is. And yeah, if you're, if you're going to recruit against someone, in, like I said, in Chapel Hill or um, yeah, some of the blue blood schools, it's going to be difficult. Um, you know, Lawrence, granted it's an hour from Kansas city, but you know, it's not like Lawrence, Kansas is a metropolis of, uh, of, uh, of our country. You know, it, it's a rural area as well too. And so what you have to get into, if you're going to recruit to K state is to find the strengths that, that you can sell kids on that. Cause obviously Kids are going to places in rural areas already. There are high-level people who are going to rural schools and playing already. Why are they going there? Um, so what are you going to sell at K-State that gets a kid there? And, you know, I agree completely. If you can get a kid on campus, then um, then you got a great shot to land it to get him to come to Manhattan, particularly with his parents, too. And so uh, it can be done. It has been done. And it just needs to be done in the future. And, and 
that's that's why coaches make millions of dollars just to figure those things out. Okay, you're a former Kansas State basketball player and you live in Kansas City. Um, does K-State access the talent of Kansas City well enough on the basketball court? And I, I look at some guys that have had impacts at other programs. Um, Dry Horn down at Tulsa, just, you know, guys that I think could have helped Kansas State. But I, I don't feel like K-State invests enough time in its own backyard uh, getting guys that could help. Maybe they're not going to be the superstars. Maybe you're not going to get the Christian Browns or the Abajis or, you know, whoever. Uh, but you're going to get good players that can help your roster and be part of your 13-man roster. And plus, there's a certain prep school in Wichita that produces pretty good talent. I just feel like they're leaving too many cards on the table here. Yeah, I mean, if you look back over the last 10 years, how many impact players have we had from the Kansas City area? And I don't think that you have to get all of them. I don't think you're going to get all of them, but you got to get some. You know, you have to you have to start with uh, with your backyard. I think that that's one of the things that we're learning in football, in particular. That there's a lot of talent. I think that towards the end of you know, uh, Bill Snyder's tenure, that's one of the things that people were frustrated with, that there was a lot of talent in Kansas City that was going other places. And I think we're seeing Coach Kleiman um, uh, try, try to write, write that ship and change that direction. I think the next coach at K-State for basketball has to do the same. You, know, you look at Christian Brown and you look at Ochai Abaji, those are two hallmark players. One of them has a chance to be national player of the year in our backyard. And it's not like Ochai Abaji was, you know, a uh, McDonald's all American five-star kid. Um, uh, he, he was definitely under the radar, um, and was not a top target of bill self, uh, when, when he was recruited out of high school. So it, there is talent there. You just got to be able to spot it, develop it and cultivate those relationships because there is, um, uh, a pool of kids who, uh, will consider K-State have grown up around K-State, but, you got to get them excited about K-State and, and get them to be make it acceptable for those kids to go there. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast continues after this short break. Welcome back to the PowerCat podcast. Now let's return to the GPC studios. Okay, let's get into some of the things that Jay Heydrich would like to see, um, not just from the candidate, but from the program. What, what type or brand of basketball do you think would work best for the Kansas State fan base and in the Big 12 Conference? You know, I, I think it's something, you know, my um, junior college coach, Steve Forbes at Wake, he said, you know, you got to have controlled chaos, I think is how he does it. And you you, you want to play fast, but you don't want to just be – pulling up shots and shooting threes um, uh, on fast breaks and just going up and down like a, like a backyard pickup game. Um, you know, I will, I want to see the next coach play up and down. I want to see them push the ball when they can, but at the same time too, I want to see structure. Um, I don't want to see, you know, 20 seconds dribbling the ball out front. And then all of a sudden we run to a, um, uh, one, one out four flat and then on ball screen. And we, jack up a three at the end of the, uh, of the shot clock. Um, I, I, I want to see some, uh, uh, a type of play that plays downhill. We attack the glass, you know, we don't have, you know, what's called windshield wiper offense where you go side to side. And all you're doing is just swiping away at the glass. You know, we want something that goes through the windshield, not across it. So uh, something that attacks and gets downhill, you know, honestly, you know, I, I, 
not trying to drag up old memories, but you know, when you watch Frank's teams play, um, they, they did that. They attacked the rim, they attacked the glass. And, you know, people talk about the offensive uh, problems that Frank had. Yeah. It wasn't pretty at times. Um, it's not like they were hitting back cuts and, you know, executing plays and, 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 you know, doing those things that make it pretty basketball, but they were scoring 75 points a game. And you just, you cannot win in this league. If you're going to play in the mid sixties, it just, it's not going to work. And so I I want someone who's going to get in your shorts defensively. It's going to create turnovers and is also going to um, uh, attack the glass and play downhill. Like I said, and that, that does a couple things. Um, One is when you play at a higher rate and you score at a higher rate in particular, your margin for error goes up. So, I mean, one of the problems with K-State the last 10 years is um, playing at such a you know low possession rate and low scoring rate is that um, your, your mistakes are magnified. So if, if you're, if you're playing in a low scoring ball game and you have eight turnovers or 12 turnovers, each one of those turnovers is a huge deal. If you're only going to score 62 points in a game, because that's an opportunity that you're giving you the other side to, to go score when you know, you're not going to score much yourself. So if you can figure out a way to generate more offense, um, then that, that creates, um, your, uh, um, that, uh, that, that minimizes your margin for error, you know, and I, you know, I don't mean to keep going back to coach Forbes, but he interviewed him for the, uh, eight, when he won the ACC coach of the year. And, and, uh, they asked him about his offense and was it good? Uh, does he like to have an offense first, um, philosophy? And he said, well, he goes, I don't know if you know this, but the team with the most points wins and I've never won a game to nothing, you know? So he said, uh, and I think that the next coach at K-State needs to fall into that same type of philosophy of we got to get up and down a little bit more. We got to manufacture some buckets. And the last thing um, on this point that I'll say is I, I want to see someone who has the ability to organize a play and coach their kids to uh, have the discipline to run it and execute it. You know, for too long, we've had instances where we go three, four, five minutes multiple times in a game without a field goal. Um, that's just hard to win ball games that way. And when that happens, you know, you need to be able to call timeout and organize a play and, and go get a bucket. You know, the Bill Self down the road is the master of it. You know, he gets, you know, two, three buckets a game out of timeouts. And when, when you're playing in this league, you know, two, three buckets a game makes a heck of a difference between yep. winning and losing all the times. Really does. I mean, you can look back through the course of a season and find, you know, maybe a half dozen games that, came down to one or two possessions. And if coach drew up a play off of an inbounds or at the end of a half, that's works. That's, that's how you win games. And just little subtle bits of that. I, I would absolutely love, but we'll, we'll see what direction they go. But I, I got to tell you um, as much as I respect coaches that are really defensive minded and want to play low possession, low scoring games, you can win that way. But, uh, I'm not sure the fan base is wanting that right now. I think the fan base needs a jolt, needs needs a little Agreed. excitement. Um, and, and I'll just be blunt here. You know, maybe the first year it's going to be a struggle. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who's staying. I don't know who they can get in from the transfer portal. But I know this. If the team's losing 80 to 75 as opposed to 50 to 45, it's going to be a funner, more fun brand of basketball for uh, the students and, and the alumni and everyone in Bramlage Coliseum. And, 
And damn it, it's harder to win when Bramlage isn't full. And it wasn't anywhere near full this season. You can blame COVID and not coming back. I just, you know, maybe people were done. They've got to get that place full. And not just for the revenue, but for the home court advantage that used to exist when it was known as the Octagon of Doom. And it is so far removed from that now. It's just, it's embarrassing. It's an embarrassing name to have, to have carried around for years because it was earned. It was a, it's a great name. But when you play so far below that and you can't defend your home court and losing your last two games, it's just kind of silly. You've got to win those close games. You've got to win your home games. And if you start doing that, you know what you do? You get in the NCAA tournament. Yep. You, you, you have to, it is really hard to make the NCAA tournament if you're not uh, defending home court. I mean, that's just, that's just a fact because it's so hard to win on the road in the, in this league. And, you know, all these things are interrelated fits. We talked about recruiting earlier. You want to know how you get good kids to come to Manhattan, play a fun brand, um, say, this is how we're going to play. This is how we're going to go up and down, and but we're going to be disciplined too. And we're going to create opportunities for you to come out of sets and, and be the guy, or we're going to create isolations to, to get you uh, baskets. And um, if you play a fun brand, then you're more likely to get recruits that are going to come. And otherwise, when you're recruiting, you're watching K-State on TV and, you know, they've gone five minutes without a bucket. And you're like, wow, this, this, yeah. the, the, or you see a score that is 50 to 45. You're like, what's going on with that? And so all these things are intertwined. And I think I agree a hundred percent. We have to get the fan base back. We have to make it exciting uh, for them to come back and, and, and winning alone, um, isn't going to do it. Um, you know, you got to convince me why I'm going to pack up my two kids on a Saturday in February and and give up one of my free Saturdays when I don't have soccer, baseball, basketball, lacrosse, and football um, to come to Manhattan and watch a game. Uh, why should I do that? Even if we win, that's great. But you, it's at the end of the day, college sports are entertainment. You're not going to go watch a movie and spend money at a movie that you know is horrible, right? And same thing. You're not going to go eat at a restaurant when you know the food's bad. So why are you going to spend your money to go to a game that you know you're not going to be entertained? Uh, that's just, it's really that simple. Are there any personality traits you'd like to see in a new coach? Yeah, uh, there are. I, I want to see someone who holds his kids accountable and forces them to do the little things. Um, you know, I, I want to see someone who um, has the ability to control their team um, and uh, has has the respect of their team to do that. And I'm not saying that Bruce didn't have the respect of his team, you know, at all. Please don't anyone read into that. But there's a reason why kids cut hard. There's a reason why kids set screens. Doing the little things sucks. It is not fun, right? It's not fun to um, swing the ball. It's not fun to cut hard. It's not fun to work on those things every day in practice and to drill them. But those little things are what separate good teams from great teams and good teams from bad teams. Um, you look at, you know, I tweeted this out on um, Saturday night. Every youth basketball team should watch Texas Tech and KU play offense uh, because they have spacing. They pass the ball. They cut the ball. They, mm -hmm. they set screens. They're physical. We're talking about physicality on defense. 
they are physical on offense. They, they play downhill. Like I said, they attack the rim. That is how offense should be run. Um, and you know, what, what comes down to it is, you know, KU's just got better scores than tech does right. at the end of the day, but tech still runs really, really good offense. Um, that is what I want to see is, is a coach who can come in and implement kids to do that and you know, force is probably not too strong of a word because kids don't know how to do that. That's part of a coach is to teach a kid how to do things that they haven't done before. And there is not a single kid in the country who plays AAU ball that runs offense like Bill self does or like Mark Adams does not a single one. And so you have to come in and force these kids to have the discipline to not do what they want to do, but to get them to do what the team needs them to do. And that's the hard part. One of the things I always loved about Jack Hartman was he defined roles. You know what you were supposed to do on the court, and unless the ball landed in your hands with two seconds on the clock, they didn't have a shot clock back then, but you knew if you were supposed to shoot or not unless you were in that situation. You knew if you were supposed to handle the ball. You knew if you were supposed to take the the dramatic pass and try to make the big play. And, And if you stepped outside of that, and made a mistake, and sometimes even if you made the play and still stepped out aside what, what he wanted, you went to the bench. You were accountable. And it's just it's something that I loved about Jack Hartman is because <clears throat> Ed Neely knew what his role was. Go get ball, rebound, put it back in, or get it to someone else that can put it back in. And he did it over and over and over and built an entire NBA career on that. And, and so once you start putting all those pieces together on a team and we saw it maybe in the 88 team when you, you know, had Bledsoe doing some of that and, and Richmond was scoring and you got Henson creating and everyone kind of, and Will Scott just sniping, you had roles. And, yep. and I, I just feel like everyone's trying to do everything now. I get to play, yep. be yep. the defender and I also am the slasher and I can shoot threes and I can do it. No, you can't, man. No, no, that's not, that's not what's best for the team. And when I see a kid take a three in a key situation when he should not be taking it with 15 seconds on the shot clock, I want to, I want to climb on the court and Jack Hartman is butt right there and chew him out. I don't think that'd be ideal for my career, but, um, <laughs> it, and I just miss that, that level of accountability, um, and and I can admit that maybe Frank took the the tongue lashing too far, but there has to be somewhere in between. There's a vast world in between the last two coaches styles for Kansas State to find a new coach, I guess is what I'm saying. You're and you're you're absolutely right. And and the one thing that I think what we're what we've both been talking about, but we haven't used this word yet is culture. You know, and I thought, you know, Jake Pullen's podcast on the Bosco Boys was great, where he talked about having a culture. What is this team? What what is this program right now? Okay, you know they're they're going to defend, but can you say that every game they're going to show up and defend and get in you and and and, and rebound and do those things? You know, um, are they what when you just when you say K State basketball? What are you going to get? I mean, what what is what is the response? What comes to mind um, as far as a culture and an identity? And what that does is all these things that you talked about, Fitz, it's, you know, every team has a role. Uh, not all roles are equal, but every role is important, you know. And, and I, you know, I handed out a lot of water. I handed out a lot of towels. You know, I did a lot of clapping and high-fiving and everything. But yeah, I was, I was, and I scored more points in warmups than anybody else. Um, and, but I'll, but I'll tell you that, you know, one of the things that, um, makes, you know, my heart warm to this day is when all my 
two teammates and I get together, you know, I had one of them a few years ago tell me, Jay, I hated playing against you in practice because I knew you were going to kick my ass every day. Not, I mean, and I wouldn't score 20 points. I would listen. I would physically beat him up. Um, and, and he goes, you made me work so much harder than I wanted to every day that, you know, and that, that is, you know, I didn't know I was doing at the time, you know, I was just trying to get on the floor. Um, but, but that is the culture that you can create, um, with that is when you have everyone who has that competitiveness in practice, who has that willingness to say, you know, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to do my role. This is what's asked of me. If I want my role to expand, coach will tell me, but until then, this is my role and I'm going to do it to the best I can. That's how you create a culture because you, then you have everyone who the pieces start fitting and then all of a sudden things start rolling and things get a lot easier and a lot more fun to watch. Jay, I was born June 1 of 1964. Kansas State's last Final Four was in the spring of 64, I believe, unless I'm totally screwing that up. So it predates my memory, my life, even though I grew up watching Mike Evans and Rolando and Ed Neely and, and uh, uh, you know, Mitch and all, the, all those guys that played in a Hearn Fieldhouse. Do old guys like me need to shut the hell up about the past or is are, are are those dusty banners still a value and a purpose and a and a piece of pride that K State fans should hold on to? I, I think they are for sure. I, I think there needs to be a, a a middle ground with it because if we give up those dusty banners in that past, we have nothing, right? Uh, because that is the proud history that we look at, and we've had some recent successes as well too. But when we talk about the meat of K State history. You know, it is that it's the Jack Hartman's, the Cotton Simmons, you know, um, the Ernie Barrett's of the world, um, those types of things that, that, that are a huge part of history. And we should embrace that and not only embrace it, we should celebrate it um, every chance we get. But at the same time, K-Staters need to understand that this is not 1964 anymore. It's not 1988. And one of the things that frustrates me is this acceptance of mediocrity and that, well, if we, you know, get rid of this coach, you know, we, we could do better, but we sure could do worse. And we could be back in the nineties again. Yeah. If, if, if your, if your fear is that you're not willing to strive for greatness because you're afraid you might fail, then, you know, let's just pack it up at that point. Right. Um, because there's no point, there's no point in doing it. We don't, we're not going to ask our, our kids on our football program, any student athlete, no coach is ever going to ask their uh, student athletes to say, you know what, you could try really hard here, but you might fail. So why don't you just give it, you know, kind of um, sort of effort on this. I mean, that, that's just stupid, right? So why why should we as fans ask any less of our administrations with that same, same thing as well, too? If we're going to expect our kids that, that, we, that we're buying tickets to, uh, to entertain us, if we're going to sit there from the stands and social media and mock these kids and, and hold them the standard and talk about how they're not playing hard, things like that, then we should expect that from our administration, from fans as well, too. And so I think that case dealers need to not be afraid of um, the dark parts of their past as well as being willing to celebrate their past. But at the same time, too, they need to understand that those past ways are not the only ways to go about it. You know, uh, Mitch Richmond, Rolando Blackman, Lon Kruger, all those names have come up in the coaching search rumors. You know, Steve Henson. My question is why? 
you know, the, the, just because they're K-Staters doesn't mean that they're a fit for K-State right now. Um, they have done great things for K-State. They, their, their history should be celebrated. But K-State needs to go find the best fit for K-State. Um, and if that person's a K-Stater, great. But that should be about the 1,000th thing that is considered when, when looking for a head coach. Well, I intentionally didn't get into specific candidates with you. Maybe there's time for that on down the road. But uh, I just kind of wanted to give everyone a feel from a former player and someone who's an observer of this. And uh, you just said something there that I really believe in. If you live your life in fear of risking and failing, you know what you're going to do? You're probably going to fail or you're going to just play it so safe. You're never going to get full satisfaction out of things. And um, for me, I don't want to take a big risk here. I, I do worry as much as I want a certain coach. Uh, I think we all know who that is. Um, the financial risk is so enormous to make that happen. Even I would I'm hesitating about that, and it'll be very interesting to see how Gene Taylor calculates all of this as he moves forward in his hiring process. Yeah, it, you know, and, and you know, my, you know, this fits. My daughter is um, high-level softball player, and she's going to go play at Lindenwood University, a Division One school. And um, you know, I've told her time and time again that the the thing I'm most proud of is you know her willingness to try and be great. And, and we talk about all the time, and, and every kid who ends up at K State follows this dream. Uh, we, we talk about all the time about how you know we, we want to be great, we want to reach greatness, we want to do this. In my view it's a lot harder to try and be great than it is to reach greatness because a lot of times you're never going to reach it. But the people who get knocked out on their butts and get back up still pursuing that dream of being great at something, that is where the growth is. That is where the payoff is, is the willingness to not give up for fear that you might fail again. And that's where K-Staters need to get is that, you know, we may fail. We may fail again. We may not hire the right guy. We may fail again, but guess what? We're going to get it right. We're going to try and get it right the next time. And so I think that we just have to expect that um, more and get out of this. You know, we're just lowly K-State. If you look around the Manhattan we're not lowly K-State. You know, we are K-State, and, and it is a great job. It's a great community, and there's going to be a lot of really qualified people who want this job. Um, and whether or not that's Brad Underwood or one of the other candidates or whatever, this has the po- this has the just as much potential as anywhere else to be great, and I think that K-State can, can do it. Jay, I appreciate it very much. I appreciate you taking time to do this. I know you're very busy, um, but uh, this is a fascinating time for me. And and I hope whatever happens here really energizes the fan base because you know what that that's good for football, too. You you get your fan base engaged year round. It's good for everyone. And and I think K-State is on the uh, the cusp of maybe making that happen. Yep. Anytime, buddy. That's it for this edition of the PowerCat Breaking Podcast. We will have a questions podcast later in the week. Stay tuned for that. I think it'll drop probably on Thursday as the whole crew joins me right here in the studio. And I appreciate you subscribing to GoPowerCat.com. And if you're not, maybe it's time you did. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. Thank you.